0: Good morning, everyone. It's just a real blessing to be able to be together again this morning and uh, talk about some issues that seriously affect our mental as well as our physical health. How many of you believe that nutrition and lifestyle choices can affect stress sensitivity? How about your thinking? How about depression levels? Sensitivity or de- depression risk? Mood, memory, learning, behavior. All right, good. We're all, we're on the same page. Well, I'm really thankful that at the Michigan conference, our very consecrated leadership there has poured resources into the development of materials that you can reach your community with uh, to help people to understand how nutrition and lifestyle choices profoundly affect mental as well as physical functioning. And this afternoon, we're going to talk about food addictions and food cravings. Ever hear of a junk food junkie or a chaka-holic? Right. And so we've developed a, a, a series of materials that I want to just let you know about. It's called the Lifestyle Matters Health Intervention Series. And the topic that I'm going to be presenting to you today is from this book, which is available. It's called Foods for Thought Nutrition's Link with Mood, Memory, Learning, and Behavior. And I'll invite you to take a look at this. It has worksheets. We have designed programs that you can do just uh, four interventions over a two week period. I trained uh, 125 lay people in Michigan. We had meetings at 100 different sites simultaneously. Amen? So, we have some very dedicated pastors in Michigan, some wonderful uh, lay people that were involved. We had thousands of guests, and we've been able to go throughout the United States and in Canada, training how to reach the community. And then there are follow up programs that last up to a full year. The other topic that we have is diet and stress is what you're eating eating you? And it shows the relationship between nutrition and lifestyle and stress sensitivity, immune function, and depression uh, risk factors. So uh, I'm very, very thrilled today. Our our MAGA book, Cole Porters, went out in Michigan with this book last year and it outsold cookbooks five to one. It was especially popular in well-to-do communities because people are just so stressed out. And, uh, we, we had, we sold thousands and thousands of these books throughout the state, which prepared the way for these meetings. Yes, sir? Is that available Uh, it's available at any Adventist book center. Yes, but you mean for coal portering? Yes, see, see my husband afterwards and he can help you with that. It's, it's part of our literature program with the conference. And just to open with a spiritual thought today, uh, When was the book of Hebrews written? When? About what year? (laughs) During Paul's lifetime. That's really good. I can tell you're used to answering essay questions. (laughs) It was written about four years, about 66 AD, four years before the destruction of Jerusalem. So was it a critical, urgent time? critical urgent message and if you read the book of hebrews you pick up on the urgency of the tone and in hebrews chapter one paul expends an enormous amount of of energy and appeal and exhortation establishing the divinity of jesus christ establishing that he is not like the angels he's worthy of worship that the that this is something that is part of the new covenant that the the jews need to understand and then in chapter two it begins with this verse it says Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. And that word slip actually means drift. There's an amazing author in our church from the olden days. His name is M.L. Andresen. You ever heard of him? He's written a book called Hebrews. And if you can get your hands on a copy of that book, I suggest you do so. He has a comment on this verse that I'd like to share with you as we open our health segment today. Because I believe that our message of biblical living is a spiritual message. And it has a spiritual foundation. And it has an urgent tone to it. Let them slip. It says here, the picture is one of drifting inhabitants, unaware of the fact before they realize it, they are nearing the cataract, far from the old landmarks, and um, and no effort is needed. As one glides down the river towards sure death, the sensation is one of contentment and well-being, a delightful drowsiness. Do we eat some meals that just cause a delightful drowsiness? <laughs> you go into that three o'clock dip. It says, The downward movement is hardly perceptible. The water moves with the boat, and appearances are deceitful. Unless one awakens in time, the danger is very real. For everyone who falls into great sin, there are ten who are drifting. Now, the point that I'd like to draw out in relation to the health message with that statement is that the subtle erosion of mental faculties begins in childhood with an inordinate, or a, a inordinate diet. Uh, when you think of dementia, what's the first symptom that you think of? You think of memory loss. But in actuality, by the time memory loss really occurs, there's already been 23% atrophy of the brain. <laughs> subtle erosion of personality has occurred that has been taking place over years And so we want to understand that our most precious commodity is not our waistline. It's not even our pancreas or our heart or our liver. It's actually the brain. The battle is not for the bulge. It's for the brain. It's our most precious faculty. Would you agree with me on that? Today we want to take a look at the brain effects of good nutrition. And we want to see uh, how pharmacologic doses of macronutrients can actually change brain chemistry and the structure of the brain and create addictions. We're going to look at that this afternoon. But before we do, I want to give a little demonstration just to show you what a psychopharmacologic dose of a macronutrient is. Now, what is psycho? What does it refer to? The mind. mind. Okay, what's pharmacology? drugs. Drugs. Okay, so what is a macronutrient? What are the macronutrients? Fat, sugar, and protein, basically, glucose. Okay, those are the three macronutrients. So what would a psychopharmacologic dose of a macronutrient be? It would be a mind-altering dose of a nutrient that has drug-like effects in the brain. And the reason I need to do this demonstration before we have our multimedia presentation is because I want you to understand that there's a difference between having an after-dinner mint or an occasional dessert and having these drug-like doses of a macronutrient. I do not have a problem with us having an occasional sweet item, but the problem is we're having a birthday party for breakfast, Christmas for lunch, Thanksgiving for dinner, and Fourth of July before we go to bed, and there's a lot of fireworks going on, but not the kind that we like. Now, the program that you're going to see, if we can get it up, and it is up, praise the Lord, the program that we're going to see today, the demonstration that we're going to see today, are actually all available to you. This is fully scripted. All of this is what you will be doing for the community in just a two-week period. We've had amazing results. We've done it at hospitals, medical schools, inner-city communities, and it's a great way to make friends and, and just establish lasting relationships. I had a, um, the opportunity to share at a Pentecostal, an inner city Pentecostal church and do this program. This is a group of people that had never had any health intervention. They had never had any instruction in their lives. This is an obese, diabetic population. And, uh, it was a crazy service. I'll tell you, it was really, I've never been in a, that kind of a situation before and it was pretty, it was very interesting. Lovely, lovely people. And when the pastor had his closing prayer. He called his congregation to repent and to change their eating habits. And uh, he prayed for the spirit of stick. And I asked him when it was all over, I said, what is the spirit of stick? And he said, Sister Griffin, what you've shared today is life-saving for our people. It's going to make a difference in the quality of our life, health care, and whether our children even make it in school or not. He said, But with all that information, he said, it takes a revelation from God to make it stick. And that's what I'm praying for for my congregation. Isn't that just beautiful? So we need the spirit of stick. Amen? All right, I need a volunteer to help me. Can we get the lights on for just a moment before we begin this? Will my remote work for me, honey? You know, this is a program about keeping stress levels down. This does not help. I need a volunteer. All right, young lady, come on down quickly. I only have an hour, and this is when I start the PowerPoint, it's an hour. Oh, well. I'm going to talk very fast today, but uh, what's your name? Margina Margina? Margina. Margina. Nice to meet you, Margina. Uh, do you recognize this bottle? All right. Does anybody in this audience recognize this bottle? OK. What is it? It's a mountain dew. You know what my husband calls it? Mountain don't. (laughs) Okay. I worked with a lady in California who, this is a small size, wouldn't you agree? Most people that are slugging away at these, they're drinking the bigger sizes. She was drinking 10 of these a day. Would you say she had an addiction? All right, we're going to find out how that works this afternoon. It's quite fascinating. She was drinking 10 of these a day. She was getting one-tenth the lethal dose of caffeine in her body every single day. But we want to take a look just at the sugar content today, particularly the fructose content. We'll talk more about fructose as we go along this afternoon. Um, Let's just take a look and see what we're doing. Many people are ignorantly consuming massive amounts of macronutrients. Then they don't really realize what they're doing. And because there's no fiber in the diet, they really have a sense of being hungry all the time. And we're going to look at the physiology of hunger this afternoon. But Marjorie. Margarina. Margarina, I'm sorry. This is all about memory today. <laughs> uh, let's take a look here. How many sugars in this... Okay, 31 grams. That does not mean a lot to a lot of people. But if we round this to an even number, let's round it to 32. There are 4 grams in one teaspoon. So what is 4 into 32? 8. So how many teaspoons is that? 8. All right. So I'm going to ask you to take this. And we're not doing a science experiment, so we're not going to do this very accurate. But we're going to quickly count together 8. One, count with me, everybody. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. All right, now that's, I I would say that's a significant amount of of sugar. Wouldn't you say a refined product? If you put a teaspoon of sugar on your oatmeal, what's your mother going to say? Be honest. (laughs) <laughs> it's fine. If you put two, what's she going to say? It's, you know, that's enough, typically. That's enough on two cups of oatmeal, 16 grams of fiber. Two teaspoons is not a big deal. But what when you start getting three and four and five and six? What is she going to say? Stop, or we're going to have to give it to Fido. But that's not really the end of this story. Uh, how many servings do we have here? Two and a half. 2.5. 2.5. All right, do they tell you on the commercials that you're supposed to share your Mountain Dew, your small one, with one and a half friends? (laughs) Okay, so how many more teaspoons? If we have another serving and a half, how many more teaspoons do we need to add? All right, let's do that. Let's count together. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven... 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. What's 12 and 8? 20. For every ounce in this bottle, you have a teaspoon of sugar. With the larger size, which is 32 ounces, how many more teaspoons would you have to add? Another 12 to this glass. But, you know, most people don't just have a, a, something... To drink when they're hot and they want a little something in their stomach, so they'll get a nice, chewy candy bar to go along with it. So let's just have a look here and see what our snack is going to amount to. Um, how many sugars? Let's see. Let me look and find it here. There's some interesting information on this little package. Okay, right here. 21 grams. Okay, let's round it down to 20. How much is 4 into 20? 5. How many teaspoons is that? Five. Okay. 5. That's right. How many what's the next question we want to ask? How many oh. <laughs> How many servings do we have? 3. 3. <laughs> All right. You know that candy bar that's hidden in your scarf drawer? Are you sa- saving? It? Are you sharing it with two friends? All right, so how many teaspoons do we need to add to this glass? 15. All right. Let's count. 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 Nobody's counting. 8 <laughs> 9 Are you in t- shock? 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Thank you, Marjorie. Let's give her a hand and thank her for helping us. Thank you. This is what you're getting in one of these sweet and creamy uh, snacks. When we did this at General Conference, there were some... um, Janitor standing in the background watching the demonstration. He said, uh-uh, honey, that's it. <laughs> no more. <laughs> I could preach for a thousand days, but this tells the picture, doesn't it? Now imagine doing this two or three or four times a day. This is going to interfere with your ability to think and executive function. It's going to have an effect on uh, temporal activity, on hormones, appetite regulation. We're going to examine that today. But remember, if you are in an addictive syndrome with food, our brains are very resilient, highly plastic, meaning they're very malleable, and the body is made for recovery. The, uh, the Bible says that he will restore the years that the canker worm and the palmer worm have Uh, hath stolen from his people. And as a bulimic, I used to consume, you know, huge amounts of sweet and fatty foods at one sitting, and I'm just thankful today that a little bite of sweets is enough for me. But I still have to put a fence around it. I've got a sugar baby spot in my brain that I have to guard, and there are probably those of you in this room who can relate to that statement. Um, Dame, can I use my remote now? Please? (sighs) It won't work? He's a yeah, I think. All right. Well, are you going to push the buttons for me then? Thank you. I'm not stressed about it. Okay. Let's get the, um, the lights down. I tell you what, you get people coming to programs like this. What we found with the Lifestyle Matters program is that people will bring their friends every night. They'll bring more people. That's why we do this program the last evening, because you'll have new people there. And so it's very, very exciting to go into the community because people are really suffering. And when your brain suffers, the rest of you suffer. When the rest of your body suffers, when you're feeling tense and fatigued, You know, if it's one thing to feel tense, you can go for a run. It's another thing to feel fatigued, you can take a nap. But these kinds of products make you feel tense and fatigued. So what's going to happen? You're either going to pop off at somebody or wind up at the vending machine, and that's exactly what happens. So today we're taking a look at nutrition's link with mood, memory, learning, and behavior. (laughs) Not in exactly that order. (laughs) Now, in Nutrition Reviews, I don't think anybody's hearing this microphone, are you? Can you hear it? Nutrition Reviews has asked us this question Can what you eat influence your mental function? And the answer is certainly what? Affirmative. What does affirmative mean? Very conservative journal, but they are saying absolutely. Now, let me clarify something here. Oh, there's my husband. (laughs) He is the only one humble enough to pose for that picture.
1: <laughs>
0: now, go back one, please, Dane. Thank you. Do you want pointer? Yes, please. That would really help. Now, we have read in the lay papers and in fad diets that you can eat different Meals to have a, a specific effect. Say if you're taking a test, they say eat a tuna fish sandwich. If you want to be happy, eat a banana, this kind of thing. Have you read these types of articles? What, what, Micro-manipulation of mood through a particular meal? Well, we, this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the long-term effects of consistent daily habits. Amen? Isn't there a big difference? Because we're not going to be with the program every minute, every meal. It's, that's just not life. We're going to have novelty items every now and then in our diet. That's not a problem. But we're talking about long term, consistent choices that have a, my, a brain sculpting effect on our genetics and on our physiochemistry. This is what we need to understand. Plus, I really think that we should be able to be cheerful and think all the time. Don't you? Every meal should contribute to that. Okay. We ingest in each day any number of compounds that we know alter mental function. And that is absolutely correct. People have not made that connection, though, and they are driven by eating habits that are destroying mental health. American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, over the past 40 years, several lines of investigation, and when we talk about lines of investigation, we mean clinical studies, epidemiologic studies. We mean um, uh, studies in genetics and 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 different kind of cohort studies have shown that the chemistry and function of both the developing and mature brain are influenced by diet by diet now this is uh, elizabeth summer she's a scientist and a uh, uh, nutrition researcher she wrote a book called food and mood and she said this repeated poor food choices set what kind of patterns Fundamental patterns in the production of brain chemicals that regulate appetite and mood. And we're going to explore that this morning. So that you become a victim of mood swings, food cravings, poor sleep habits, and other emotional problems. Why? Because of poor eating habits because of poor eating habits. I remember one time I was driving down the road and a psychiatrist came on the radio. I was listening to a morning talk program. And he said, you know, we're going to talk about stress today. So pull up in your favorite easy chair, grab a cup of coffee, and let's spend some time together. And I thought, wow, they get paid for doing that? Now, according to recommended diagnostic definitions for diabetes, high blood pressure, elevated cholesterol, and overweight... 75% of the adult population in the United States would be considered diseased. Now, the question that I want to pose to you this morning is that if these conditions have an effect on cognition, what is cognition? It's your thinking and your reasoning, your executive function, your analytical abilities, problem-solving abilities. If these conditions have an effect on those things... Are we in trouble as a nation? Yes. Absolutely. I, I remember asking in one audience, what is cognition? And the lady said, is it something like your ignition? And I said, yes, it is something like your ignition. Even according to current standards, half of all adults in the United States suffer from at least one chronic disease. One in five suffer at least two. Sixty million are affected. Almost two-thirds of adults are either overweight or obese, and the fastest-growing category of, ob- of obesity is morbid obesity, which is more than 100 pounds overweight, uh, causing 300,000 deaths annually directly caused by overweight and 1 billion overweight worldwide. And in our book, we have a third book coming out the first of next year and a new module on addictions. It's called Living Free, Finding Freedom from Habits That Hurt. And in our chapter on food addictions, we we deal with food addictions, substance addictions, and behavioral addictions. We even have a whole chapter on entertainment addictions, television addiction, and the brain-changing effects of constant stimulus from uh, the novelty-type techniques of television and what it does in the brain. But uh, obesity is a worldwide problem. One in every five Chinese in the cities uh, over there suffer from either overweight or are diabetic. In some African nations, obesity outstrips malnutrition four to one. Uh, one One-third of Italian children overweight or obese. Half of Chile, Peru, Uruguay obese or overweight. And so this is truly a worldwide problem. Lifestyle diseases cause 7 out of 10 adult deaths. That's a crisis. That's a real crisis. We're going to see some amazing uh, uh, slides on that this afternoon. At an annual cost of more than a trillion dollars, children are at risk. Nearly half of U.S. children as young as age 5 have at least one heart disease risk factor. Overweight has tripled in age, uh, children age 6 to 11, and the interesting thing about that is that when a child even experiences transient obesity, it has a lifetime-changing effect on, on the shape of the heart and risk for diabetes and overweight later on in life. Children who are overweight are 20 to 30% heavier than the heavy children of just 10 years ago. Overweight children have twice the risk of heart disease and high blood pressure as adults. Only 1% meet guidelines for dietary fiber. We're going to talk about dietary fiber and the prevention of chronic disease this afternoon. And in African-American children, there has been a tenfold increase in type 2 diabetes in children in just five years. That's pretty shocking. Jesus loves these people, but they don't know. And this afternoon, we're going to find out how people are being conditioned to eat certain kinds of foods that are deadly to mental as well as as physical health. And it creates dulling diseases. One of the researchers that reviewed our manuscript, Foods for Thought, his name is Dr. Merrill Elias. He's a statistician and epidemiologist. He's a really nice man. I spoke to him after he returned from a trip to England, and he told me that the latest rage in England... <clears throat> is anybody ever been there and eaten the fish and chips? You know, they have those fish and chips and mushy peas. Their chips are like what we call cottage potatoes, those fried potatoes that you find at the salad bar that are in big wedges. People eat those. They're, they're just the rage over there. But the new thing over in England is to sprinkle sugar on them, dip them in chocolate, and freeze them. And people are eating them as a treat. And he said, "Vicky, the children's brains in England are addled. They're addled. Now, Dr. Elias tested 1,800 senior citizens on eight different tests of learning and memory, and he found that those who performed poorly had these risk factors. They either had diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, or they were smokers. And here is what he said. If they had one of those risk factors, they had a 23% decline in cognitive Cognition and on these eight different tests of memory and learning. For each added factor, they had an additional uh, 23% decline. And he said this, the more risk factors a person has, the greater the risk of developing memory and learning impairments. And we're going to talk a little bit about the progression of dementia this morning. Elevated LDL cholesterol is linked with a fourfold increased risk for dementia. And for lay people, I just say L is for lousy, H is for happy. So they can remember the LDL versus the HDL. And of course, ratios are important as well. But elevated LDL cholesterol is significantly linked with increased risk for dementia. Elevated total cholesterol triples the risk for dementia. An interesting study of 7,000. Older diabetic women showed that they had have a 74 percent increased risk for cognitive impairment uh, in, in the progression of this disease if it is left to progress. Now this is one of my favorite um, uh, studies. It shows there are a number of studies that show that chronic high blood pressure is linked to two, two to three fold increase in dementia-linked lesions. Now, let's discuss for just a moment what a dementia-linked lesion is. And if you could back up to the brain there, Dane. So his brain is showing. There we go. Um, What is the most common dementia in the United States? Number one dementia. Alzheimer's. What's the second one? multi-infarct dementia or uh, vascular dementia is the second most common dementia. Both of these have very strong lifestyle factors involved. As a matter of fact, the woman that wrote the foreword to our book, her name is Dr. Helen Kim. She is the director of pharmacology and toxicology at the University of Birmingham, Alabama. She runs a, a, a lab that does tests on uh, uh, dietary protein in her lab and in her studies with macaque monkeys She discovered that animal protein tends to turn on Alzheimer's switches, genetic Alzheimer's switches to produce that disease, and soy protein tends to turn them off. Now, having said that, does that mean that all people who use animal foods are going to get Alzheimer's disease? Does it mean that if you're a vegetarian, you cannot get Alzheimer's disease? It does not. We are talking about risk. And so there is a significant association with the types of dietary constituents and turning on genetic switches that would hasten um, dementia. And the the story gets even more interesting with multi-infarct dementia or what we call vascular dementia. And as we look at our model here, here is the brain. Here is the limbic area of the brain down in the brain stem. And the brain is like a percolator, it percolates information throughout the brain to create an association that we call cognition or even memory. And memory is actually a a very plastic thing, too. It's very changeable depending on your present mood state. And just to give you an example, we don't have a spot in our brain called grandmother. There's not a spot you can find where grandmother is. But when... I mentioned the word grandmother. It's what you recall about grandmother is going to have a lot to do with what you're thinking and processing and feeling right now. So if you're in a bad mood and I start talking about grandmother, you're going to think about the time she made you sit in a hard wooden chair and eat liver, something like that. And it's a very negative thing. But if you're in a really good mood, you'll remember her lilac perfume and she used to read stories to you and feed you those cookies that brought you into the condition you're in today. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, and so memory is very plastic. This is part of the healing power of the Bible. I wish we had time to talk about the healing of memory through what we become today in Christ. It's an amazing thing. Uh, And and so every function of the brain is highly malleable, highly plastic. And so when we get sensory information, sensory input, it it all goes up through the brainstem area, and it percolates to areas of perception, association, place, um, logic. And all of these things, and it rallies from these different parts of the brain. Well, when a person is developing multi-infarct dementia, it is due to two reasons, usually. The two reasons are clusters of little dead cells begin to occur here from slow, sluggish, fat-infested blood that, that begin to break down or stiffen the little arterioles in this area of the brain. And then the other thing that begins to happen is neurologic degeneration, just the degeneration of nerve cells. And that's what they call lesions. Now, there's a really interesting association with obesity and overweight and what is called temporal atrophy. Anytime you use a muscle, what happens to it? It gets stronger. It's the same with the brain. So if you have lesions in this part of the brain that prevent, prevent information from percolating to the other areas of awareness, the higher cognitive centers, the organizational areas, the location areas, place, perception, and all logic, what, ha- what begins to happen to those unused areas? They begin to... Atrophy. That's exactly right. And so, with no particular lesions or damage in these areas of the brain, you begin to have a subtle erosion of personality because the, the brain itself begins to atrophy because of lack of access of sensory input to those areas of the brain because of these lesions. And so, what happens with uh, high blood pressure is they, the blood vessels begin to reroute around those dead clusters of cell cells and it's a survival mechanism but it is not as efficient as if you, of course you use prevention but the good news is is that when you have a diet high in antioxidants have you heard of antioxidants they're the cleanup crew they start to go and they clean up these dead cells so that remodeling can begin to take place and the mental engine can begin to purr instead of ping but it's a very very slow subtle process and and the erosion of of the faculties takes place years before actually um, memory loss occurs. And usually what the symptoms are, you begin to have a subtle erosion of the ability to have self-control, to to control affect or control emotional impulses, that is a, that's an executive function. Being able to sit still when you're going to get a shot is, is a, a high executive function. That kind of thing. That begins to deteriorate. The, the Restraint, the ability to restrain yourself begins to deteriorate. The other thing that begins to deteriorate is an area of, called the orbitofrontal cortex. And so the ability to execute what you plan begins to deteriorate. So you make lists, but you never follow them. You just never quite... And at this point, I always see wives start to jab their husbands... In the ribs, but being able to follow lists and things like that. This is where a lot of senior citizens are taken advantage of by these phone scams, where they, they empty their bank accounts over the phone to a stranger because they're more vulnerable, because their faculties are beginning to subtly erode. But no one has diagnosed the encroachment of dementia. That's what those lesions are. Now, how many of you have heard of metabolic syndrome? One million teenagers have metabolic syndrome. One million have been di- have, are thought to have metabolic syndrome. Uh, trouble, uh, grapes come in clusters, but so does trouble. And when a person becomes uh, metabolically dysregulated, due to the, the increased intake of macronutrients and the low intake of the healthy nutritive foods, you begin to see a clustering of symptoms. And it usually is overweight, high blood pressure, elevated insulin levels, and elevated triglycerides with high cholesterol. This is called metabolic syndrome. And usually we just leave it at that. Well, you have metabolic syndrome, you need to lose weight. But we also need to understand that there are mental health effects of this syndrome, and they are depression, depression, Slower thinking, lower levels of alertness and concentration, lower energy levels, and memory loss. This is all documented uh, in our book. And so when you feel down and dim, where are you going to end up? Fridge. At the fridge. The vending machine. You're going to be going for those ding dongs. You know, think about the name. Ding dongs. <laughs> Bonkers. <laughs> huh? Is this a hint? This is an amazing man. His name is uh, Dr. Antonio Convent. If you just back up, I don't want them to read it yet. Dr. Antonio Convent, Convent is a man who has studied the effects of high fructose diet, like we saw here, on appetite regulatory mechanisms. We're going to discuss those appetite regulatory mechanisms this afternoon. We don't have time this morning to do that. But before I ever did any of this, when I was young, I used to, um, repossess cars. <laughs> and I used to skip trace on bad checks. So I became very good at tracking people down. And I thought that I would love to track him down. And these scientists are very hard to get a hold of. You know, they're in their laboratories and they're they're not usually real gregarious people with their own web pages. So you have to find these people. Well, I actually found where this man was and I found his phone number, his direct line to his office. And I came back one day after lunch and I thought, wouldn't it be just a lark? Just wouldn't it be a, a, just a fun thing just to call this man? and see if I could get through. And I thought, he'll never answer the phone, so I don't need to worry. So I just, for a lark, dialed the number, and he answered. I was just shocked. I didn't know what to say. And so I started telling him how much I appreciated his research in the area of fructose and diabetes, and it just opened up his heart. He started sharing with me, and this is what he had to say. He said, we have studied the effect of insulin resistance on the pancreas, the retina, and other organs, but what about the brain? No one is thinking about the brain. For every Alzheimer's patient, there are eight older people who suffer enough memory loss to significantly harm their quality of life, yet they have no dementia-causing disease. He said the term mild cognitive impairment is a misnomer. He said there's nothing mild about it. It is a very significant progression of these multi-infarct lesions. He said that is a great motivator to stay off the calories and off the couch. And in our seminars, we show people how to do that without starving to death because that, again, will create hunger. Now, diets that are high in saturated, hardened fats such as these these types of uh, foods, the animal products, the heavy cheeses, the hard cheeses, butter, whole milk, they're high not only in saturated animal fat, but also a preformed fatty acid called arachidonic acid. And I want to keep you to keep that in your mind because arachidonic acid is is uh, present at the cellular level, and it is it is uh, when you have a stress response, arachidonic acid is released to cause pro-inflammatory pro- pro-inflammation. Uh, uh, prostaglandins and so there's a very significant relationship between high levels of arachidonic acid in cells, nerve cells, blood cells and there's a linear relationship between uh, increased inflammation, increased pain and clinical depression and we'll talk more about that We are very, very changeable, and as we eat and consume food, it actually changes the structure and chemistry of our very own cells, and it has profound biologic effects. Now, am I saying that what you eat is going to make the difference as to whether you have a mental health problem or not? No. No, I'm not. We're talking about risk. We're talking about optimizing your own potential. But I am not saying that if you eat correctly, you will never have to perhaps have an antidepressant. I am not saying that. But can you significantly reduce your risk and incidence of depression? Okay, so we want to have, be on the same page here because we don't want to go into meetings and make claims that are unrealistic. I'll tell you, I have a wonderful fellow in our conference. His name is Scott. He's bipolar. He takes $1,500 worth of medications a month to control his bipolar disease. He has come to our seminars, every, almost every seminar he can get to for four years. He has so revolutionized his diet. It has so helped him to control his disorder and reduce his medication somewhat that the psychiatrist that works with him actually has him counseling other, other bipolars in lifestyle. So isn't this a wonderful thing? You know, we always always think that, that healing means perfection. But healing is a progression, isn't it? And on the continuum of health, we will be where we can be optimally between us and God. But we don't want to line up people and say the sickest ones are the least righteous and the most well ones are the most righteous. I remember one time I was doing meetings in California and I got so sick. I had a mycoplasma infection. We were working very hard, very late. There was this little kid coughing all over the food every day. And I got home. I got deathly ill. And I I was so sick for three weeks. Dane was lining the kids and I up like sardines doing fomentations. I couldn't get off the couch. I was coughing all the time. And a friend of mine called and asked me how I was, and I told her the truth. I said, I'm doing terrible. And I told her my tale of woe. I was, frankly, I was hoping for a pot of soup, okay? I'll admit it. She said, well, you better figure out what you did wrong to get sick. I was so upset. When I hung up the phone, I said, God, that woman needs to get a sinus infection. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes, I said please a cold or something. Not that she would tell anybody. I do know her cat got sick, but we do not want to go in with that kind of an attitude because people have different genetic constitutions, different frailties, different different ability to he- to be healed. And that's in God's hands, isn't it? We do our best and then we're within the shelter of God's Loving arms, regardless of health outcomes. Amen? Amen. Isn't that the important thing? We want to bring people to Christ. Um, I need my... Okay. Trans fats. I wish we could talk for an hour about trans fats, the pro-inflammatory effects. It blocks a very important system that makes uh, powerful eicosanoids that reduce inflammation. Very, very important to watch your trans fats and try to keep them out of the diet as much as you can. Uh, diets high in refined foods. Okay. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> this is. <laughs> Alright, first of all, this is not a door prize, number one. You will have to stay after and re- do recitations if this keeps up. This is very bad. <laughs> diets high in refined foods. Refined sugars, quick. Go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Animal products. And dehydrating, stimulating drinks are what create metabolic syndrome and all these mental health uh, effects. We need more of the whole grains. Whole grain foods, rich in magnesium. Magnesium is uh, responsible for more than 350 enzyme functions. Your body produces its weight in ATP every day to produce energy. And magnesium and about six different vitamins are required for that process. So if you don't feel energetic, if you're just dragging, lassitude, extreme weariness, this kind of thing, I always wonder, is this person magnesium deficient? High levels of calcium cause magnesium deficiency and loss of magnesium. So does high fat, high sugar type of regimen. Okay, I need to hurry along here. I'm really running late. We need more of those great fats. F-A-T is not spelled B-A-D. Remember that. Uh, We get beautiful monounsaturated fats in nuts. Did you know that? Nuts are, on average, 65% monounsaturated fats. Olives, olive oil, avocados, very high in uh, antioxidants. Olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, has 30 different flavonoids, very rich in hydroxytyrosol, which uh, softens arterial walls. So we want to enjoy those healthful fats. Even if you're overweight, you can be fatty acid deficient. So we want to start switching out the kinds of fats and we'll discuss why later on. We want more vitamins, minerals. This is a great source of magnesium, boron, calcium, folic acid, in the right ratio so that you have appropriate absorption, utilization, and retention. 80 different antioxidants just in a grapefruit. Phytochemicals, 25,000 different phytochemicals in the plant kingdom. 60 of which we know the biologic activity. You've heard of elagic acid. That's in strawberries, spinach, apples, and blueberries. Actually enhances memory and balance. Very small amounts every day in the diet. They're very high in soluble um, uh, pectins. Pectins enhance mineral absorption. Phytochemicals pro- provide the color, flavor, and texture in the foods that we love. That's why we call the produce department the Department of Defense. And the smart bombs uh, are his fruits and vegetables, and that's why they call them phytochemicals, you see. Okay, we want to have plenty of water to to move those nutrients, to eliminate toxic waste, and to keep that mental engine purring. Now, when you have uh, low levels of these great fresh foods, it can lead to impaired reasoning, learning, reaction time, alertness, attention, concentration, working memory, such as dialing a phone number. You know, how many times do you need to look at the number before you can dial them all? I've been under really intense stress, lots of traveling, you know, the kind where you wake up and you don't, you can't remember what where you are or whose house you're at or what bed you're in. It's a funny feeling, but I've actually had to look at my checkbook to find out what my zip code is. And when you start getting like that, it's time to pare down, or you will wear down for sure. And so dialing a phone number, picture recognition, all of these things. Uh, Procedural memory. This is one of the first things that starts to degenerate when you are developing dementia. Dementia. Word recall, attention span, abstract reasoning. Do we need to be able to conceptualize as biblical Christians? Abstract reasoning as biblical Christians. The book of Revelation is all about abstract reasoning, isn't it? Intellectual performance, very, very important. Short and long-term memory. We could talk about the effect of caffeine on long-term memory. It's stunning. Sugar does the same thing in large amounts. It causes a release of cortisol, which, de- which damages uh, the... Uh, receptors in the brain in the hippocampus that are are sensitive to cortisol and actually causes long-term memory problems and depression. And when you're depressed, where do you go for your comfort? You go to the refrigerator and the TV. Spatial memory, logical memory, all affected. My co-author, Dr. Baldwin, said this, if the diet is largely junk food with large amounts of highly saturated animal fat, the actual membranes reflect that diet. They become less flexible. They're more stiff, more, res- um, more restrictive to normal enzyme activity. And so it's harder for those neurotransmitters to make passageway from the presynaptic neuron to the postsynaptic so all of a sudden you're suffering from depression, lassitude, fatigue, weariness, anxiety, when uh, We'll talk this afternoon about what sugar addiction does to uh, dopamine and norepinephrine levels in the brain, producing anxiety. When you're anxious, what happens? You end up at, I don't know what they call it out here, Winchell's? Do they have Winchell's? Pardon? Is it still here? All these years. Okay, I used to buy those things that are the size of a dinner plate uh, with a big cup of coffee, and that was my breakfast. And I acted like that was my breakfast, too. The brain effects of high fat and sugar, uh, the structure of the membranes is affected, permeability, fluidity, gene expression, profoundly affected, flexibility, electricity, conductivity, and sensitivity. I wish we had time to relax and talk about it all, but it's in, it's in our book. The brain effects of a high-fat and sugar diet it alters blood sugar metabolism, promotes high insulin levels. One characteristic of Alzheimer's patients is elevated levels of insulin in the brain, hinders oxygen and nutrient access, and causes free radical damage. What's the antidote for free radical damage? Antioxidants. Antioxidants. Very good. Impedes circulation, intensifies nutrient deficiencies, which then alters neurohormone function and... Promotes neural degeneration And this leads to low-level thinking These have an impact on our mental health Decreased sense of well-being Do people have a decreased sense of well-being today? You can't live on chips, chops, and lollipops And it not have a profound effect on the brain As a matter of fact, Ellen White says that The mind is seriously affected by what we eat and drink Increased feelings of fear Are we seeing that? because when you combine the lack of access to the higher centers of the brain with increased stimulation of the novelty centers of the brain with novelty foods, and I'm not saying we should never have a novelty food, but when it's a constant barrage of novelty foods, it stimulates an area of the brain called the amygdala. And so you have increased feelings of fear. The television does this as well. Impaired reaction time and increasing... Levels of depression, heightened emotional irritability. It's like that caricature I saw in the nurse's refrigerator. It said, I have one nerve left, and you're about to get on it. And we see this today, don't we see? I I got on one airplane not too long ago, and I asked the attendant. I just failed to get water. I was very, very thirsty. I asked him for a drink of water, and he said, we haven't taken off yet. I never felt so guilty about asking for a glass of water in my entire life. It was terrible. Just a powder keg. Increased extroversion, nervousness, and poor memory. That's going to help you get through school, isn't it? Think about that the next time you're going to grab one of these. Ben Franklin said a full belly makes a dull brain. And he also said this, and I've dared to share it at some medical schools. I think it's really funny. He says that, uh, he said that if all of Materia Medica were cast into the depths of the sea. It would be all the worse for the fish, and all the better for um, all the better for mankind, and all the worse for the fish. <laughs> I don't mean it. Okay, he said that. I didn't. I'm not saying there isn't a place for allopathic medicine, but can allopathy cure what lifestyle has destroyed? No, it cannot do it. It can only ultimately exacerbate the problem or prolong the misery. He said this, my refusing to eat flesh occasioned an inconvenience and I was chided for my singularity. But with this lighter repast, I made the greater progress from greater clearness of head and quicker comprehension. He didn't know about insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, and arterial vulnerable plaques, but he knew it made him think more clearly. And we want to direct people's attention that direction and help them just begin to make that connection. Because kids are quitting school because they can't think. Kids aren't making it because they can't put it together. And this may may make the difference in a marginal student. Amen? That wasn't a very party amen. I happen to believe this very passionately. As a matter of fact, we have a DVD that we show each night. There's a DVD section that we show. My husband has won 60 international awards for his productions. And it's just a beautiful thing to watch. People love these programs. And in that program, we go into a, um, a school in Appleton, Wisconsin, a school for juvenile delinquent teenagers. And, and it's a story of what happened in that school when they changed the nutrition program over a two-year period. They saved $5 million on social services, vandalism, police. Grades went up. Dropouts went to zero. Rule violations went down. Absolutely stunning results. And the kids give their own testimony as to what a change in diet did for them. Monounsaturated fats. It's time for an oil change. The monounsaturates may help improve attention and cognitive function, especially in the elderly. As we age, we need more of those monounsaturated fats. They tend to lower LDL cholesterol, elevate HDL cholesterol. So it helps as an anti-inflammatory fatty acid. Aids in triglyceride and hypoglycemic control because it tends to make our muscles and adipose tissue more sensitive to insulin so the body won't be converting excess glucose to triglycerides. Contains antioxidants, softens arterial walls. What about flax and and the omega-3s? Where where do we get the omega-3s? Whole soy, flax, walnuts, other nuts, greens canola oil, it has an excellent fatty acid ratio of omega-3s to omega-6s, lowers triglycerides, lowers blood pressure, and may lower depression. This is really interesting because as you switch your diet, it lowers the amount of the arachidonic acid in those cells and begins to replace it with the omega-3 fatty acids that we form in our bodies, and there, is a low, there are lower levels of impulsivity and depression as this process begins to take place. I went to an oil chemist's meeting in Montreal, Canada, to, to attend seminars on olive oil and omega-3 fatty acids, and some world-class researchers were there presenting their data, and it was a very amazing experience to hear these researchers firsthand talk about the results of omega-3 fatty acids on uh, cellular structure and risk for depression and ADHD. I went to a very special breakfast. They had an SDA awards banquet. And I thought, what have the Adventists done? This is just amazing. So I paid the $25 to go to this breakfast to find out how we were just advancing and pioneering in in the field of nutrition and fatty acid studies. And uh, so I paid the money and I went in and it didn't have the feel or look of an Adventist banquet. My first clue was the sausage on the tables. And I thought, you know, I know there's liberal, but I know that we're not doing sausage. Okay. So I was very, very curious. What on earth had I wound up at at this banquet? Well, I found out that SDA also stands for Suds and Detergent Association. (laughs) So I was uh, the only nutritionist at the Suds and Detergent Association Awards Banquet. So we let them they will clean you on the outside. We want to clean you on the inside. But those omega-3s are amazing. And they do have these. They tend to have these effects. Okay. We're almost done. I have about two minutes left. They actually lower cancer risk and one of the few fatty acids that actually increases immune function. Now, we don't want to overdo it with any fat, correct? or any food item. But we can enjoy these great foods on a regular basis. And when I put uh, my obese clients on a little bit of olive oil on their salads and and veggies, they tend to do better. They have better adherence. Uh, They eat more of those greens and fiber foods. They have higher levels of satiety, and it's a good thing. Improves hormone balance and lowers thrombosis, which is blood clotting. So all of these things are going to help to heal neurodegeneration in that uh, limbic area of the brain. This is Dr. Joseph Hibbeln. There is what kind of evidence? Substantial evidence that low levels of omega-3 fatty acids at the cellular level, both in neurons and red blood cells, are associated with what kind of depression? Major depression. Major depression. So we want to understand that plant foods provide not only phytochemicals, but vitamins, minerals, superior fats. And remember, these vitamins, minerals and uh, act as very powerful, uh, very significant cofactors and factors in producing the neurotransmitters that drive metabolic reactions. We need fats to transport um, the fat-soluble vitamins. They're very important to cellular structure. They're very important to uh, form powerful hormone precursors. So we need fatty acids. We need those superior proteins that we find that are not metabolically wasteful. Antioxidants, fiber. I wish we could do a whole program on fiber. It's amazing the impact of fiber. 10 days on a high fiber diet, study at Cardiff University, improves mental as well as physical health. Very, very important. Water, fewer calories, but more satiety. How many of you would like to get to the place where you crave the beans and the good leafy green salads, not this iceberg stuff, but the nice spring mixes, and that one bite of a dessert is enough? Does that sound like a nice goal? A little bite of a sweet is enough but you really crave those good things. That's our goal, is to get you into that mental state. Plant foods promote lower risk for dementia, cholesterol levels, blood pressure, diabetes risk, cancer, and degenerative diseases, 30 different degenerative diseases at least, but better mental function, blood sugar control, immune function, body weight, regularity, and hydration. So remember your veggies, because low fruit and vegetable intake is linked to higher levels of damage to nerve tissue in this area of the brain, resulting in shrinkage of vital memory centers and damage to brain blood vessels, resulting in compromised blood supply. These are the two most common causes of cognitive decline in the elderly. I saw a German study that said that only 3% of dementias are actually uh, more strongly genetically driven than environmentally. 3%. Of cases, which I think is really significant. Plan on plant power. Jerry Cott, I don't think there's any question that antioxidants have a beneficial effect on almost any degenerative <laughs> disease. Isn't that good news? We can start making some little small shifts right now that are going to start to help us feel better, function better, have more energy, be more supple, and less stiff mentally as well as physically. That's our dear Dexter, if you just saw his picture. He's our designer for these beautiful books. He didn't used to eat that way till we got hold of him. But you see how happy he is now? (laughs) You didn't see the, the rope tied behind his back, no. Enjoy those fresh fruits. Brighten up with healthy lunch. See those healthy fatty acids, whole grain breads. And lighten up your supper. What are you gonna do, build a barn before you go to bed? Very, very important for growth hormone production, fighting inflammation, cancer uh, fighting, to lighten up that supper if you have supper. Fiber up those meals. And enjoy those fresh veggies. This is a burger, a burger made out of bulk or wheat, really delicious, very easy to make. Most of our recipes are right from the grocery store. So be veggie smart. This is God's Department of Defense. He wants us to have a rainbow of colors. Doesn't that look beautiful? Fills you up instead of Out. This is one of the ways that God shows that He cares for us. He's given us a rainbow of colors to enjoy. He knew that we needed more than something to look at in the sky, so He put it on our plates. He daily loads us with benefits. We need to begin to see what He's given us in terms of a a really, a, a, a a pharmacy full of benefits for mental as well as physical health. It's one of the ways that He shows us that He cares for us. Thank you.